Nowhere did Jesus say, come unto me all ye who have good intentions and I will give you rest. I will make your good intentions to be salvific for you. Nowhere did Jesus say that. So Jesus' family considered this a step too far. They come to seize him for they were saying he is out of his mind. He is out of his mind. The word there is krateo, and it literally means to be beside oneself or to be outside of oneself. And so we, use, we see this word used elsewhere to describe, for example, in Acts chapter 26, what Festus is, or what Felix is going to say about Paul. Paul, your, your learning has driven you out of your mind. So this idea that Jesus literally outside of oneself or he's lost touch with reality. He is now saying things that are going to get him killed, that are going to get him in trouble and also going to get us in trouble as well. So they come here thinking that they have now, they've deemed him to be unstable, mentally unstable. And I would believe out of the best of intentions, I see nothing malignant, nothing malicious of their intentions here. I think that they are honestly convinced that Jesus needs help and they are coming to give him, as his family, coming to give him the help that he needs. And so the best of intentions, out of the best of intentions, they come here to take him by force because they are now believing that he's out of his mind. Now, one thing for us to say here, as a follower of Jesus Christ, sometimes we're, we're also accused of being sort of out of our mind. We know how the world works today, right? We, we know how this culture around us works. And you may know what it's like to have those who know you to say or to imply or to think. You know, they're not being very wise with their devotion to their faith or their following of their faith. You may also have been have had people in your life to think of you just a little over the edge or or a little bit unwise in what you are devoting to your faith, because that's how our world works. And you know this to be true. Who doesn't know this to be true? That, for example, you could have in your closet at home, 50% of your clothes could be Carolina blue. You could have bumper stickers all over your car. You could fly a Carolina blue flag in your front yard. You can take time away from whatever's going on to watch every single game. You can go to games and you can have pictures on the wall. You can have autographed memorabilia. And what will people call you? A big fan. Or, you know this also to be true, you could work 70 or 80 hours a week on a job or for your business. And you could skip out on family holidays and family vacations. You could take time away from your family to give to your business or to your job. And what are you called? Dedicated, devoted. Or you could spend six days a week out on the ball field practicing. You could hire personal trainers. You could spend beyond your means for all the best gear. Go to all the best sports camps. And what are you called? Dedicated. Or you could practice five hours a day, whatever the instrument of your choice is, and you could give yourself over to the best teachers and the best instructions, and you were called devoted. But spend half of that time on your faith, and what are you called? All of a sudden, it's no longer a fan. Now it's a fanatic. No longer is it dedicated. It's delusional. 
because that's how our world thinks. If you give half the energy and half the focus and half the time to your Lord, then you're called a fanatic. You're called unwise. You're called someone who is, we all know the phrase, Jesus freak or nut. So the question really for us to ask is this. If you have never had someone in your life, particularly a believer or a nominal believer, think of you or call you or or imply that you are at least unwise, if not outright crazy, in your devotion to Christ, then the question to ask is why not? Because they said that about our Lord. They said that about Paul. Because our world follows a different ruler, the prince of the power of this air. And any true, serious devotion to the true Lord is considered by the prince of the power of the air to be lunacy. So that's the question to ask ourselves. If others, at least someone in our life, doesn't think that about us, then why not? So we see here that they question his sanity. They are ashamed, so to speak. And so they come for they are saying he is out of his mind. Now, we're going to have this sort of a break here from verse 22 down through verse 30. In that break, we'll look at that next week. But in that is going to come the accusations. The scribes are now coming up from Jerusalem and they're coming for the purpose that they believe that this man is harmful. He's demon possessed and he needs to be taken care of. So they come up and they're saying that he's casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. We'll look at all that next week. Jesus will answer those accusations with the parables that he's going to tell about the strong man. We've been talking about the strong man for some time now because that's what Mark has been building us up to. And then it's going to come that passage on what we we think of sometimes as the unforgivable sin or the unpardonable sin. We'll look at all that next week. But now we come down to verse 31. And we pick up back again with the same story. And his mother and his brothers came and standing outside. So clearly, this is the same incident. So they're they're now here and they're standing outside. The logical question to ask is standing outside what? Well, they're standing outside the house that we were introduced to back in verse 20. So clearly, this is the same day, the same episode. And so now his family has come. They have come. His mother and his brothers came. And standing outside, now Luke tells us in Luke chapter 8 and verse 19 that the reason that they're standing outside is because they can't get in. There's not enough room to get inside. Again, hearkening us back to chapter 2, the story of the paralytic, when they couldn't get the paralytic inside, so they made the hole in the roof. In a similar sort of way, the inside of the house is now so full of people and Jesus is inside that they can't get in. Now we're told there's a crowd inside. This is an instance in which Mark is going to use that word crowd, and he's not going to mean the larger crowd, the crowd that's just there for the healings, that's just there for the miracles. Instead, the ones that are inside are the ones that Jesus called up the mountain to himself in the previous incident. We know that because they're inside. The crowds that Mark was describing before would not have fit inside a dwelling. And so this is the smaller crowd. This is the crowd that Jesus has called unto himself. And so his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him. So the question to ask, well, there's many questions to ask, isn't it? But one of the questions to ask is, what about Mary? Is she believing? Is she disbelieving? She's here with these brothers and possibly sisters of Jesus or half brothers and half sisters of Jesus. 
And they are here for the purpose of stopping Jesus, of putting him forcefully into bindings and and taking him away. So where is Mary with all of this? Has Mary lost faith? I mean, after all, she was the one who experienced such unspeakable things. The birth narrative of Luke 2, the visit of the angel in Luke 1, the visit of the wise men, Matthew 1, the visit of the shepherds, the star, all those things. How could Mary have experienced these things and still not be a person at this point that is solidly believing in Jesus, her son, as the Messiah? How can that be? Well, it's actually not hard to figure out as long as we make sure we are thinking properly about Mary. None of us in the room, we're not Roman Catholics. And so we know the the faulty Roman Catholic view that that views Mary as sort of a co-redeemer on par with Jesus. We, We know that's wrong. But knowing that's wrong, don't we still tend to give Mary a category of her own? Don't we tend to do that? As the mother of God, don't we maybe unconsciously tend to give her a category all her own? Yes, she's a human and and a sinful human, and she needed the redemption of her son, but she was the mother of God too. As long as we're careful to think properly about Mary, this offers no problem for us, because Mary was a weak human, just like us. Make no mistake, no woman, in fact, no person, no human, has ever experienced the grace and the favor of God like her. To have her womb used, to have her DNA used for the incarnate Christ, nothing can compare to that. Nevertheless, she is a weak human, just like us. Think of where John the baptizer is going to go near the end of his life, how even his faith is going to weaken as he's in prison and he himself is going to struggle. Did I believe in the right person? And he was John the baptizer, anointed by the spirit from the womb. And even his faith grew weak. We are weak, feeble people that regardless of how many signs and wonders we may experience in our life, our faith will still tend to grow weak. Without the Spirit keeping us believing, we will all stop believing immediately. And it doesn't matter how many miracles you may experience in your life, miracles will not sustain your faith until you see the Lord. Only the Spirit will sustain your faith. And so Mary has seen some incredible things, things that no other human ever saw or ever will see. Nevertheless, even her faith is weak now. You know, we're told that Mary is here, or the mother of Jesus is here with his half-brothers. We all are probably familiar with the fact that that after Matthew 1 and Luke 2, we we never hear of Joseph, Joseph again. So what happened to Joseph? Well, the assumption is he's probably dead by this point. He probably died in Jesus' childhood or, or his early teen years or something of that nature. And so, so Joseph is no longer here. Let's put ourselves in Mary's position. Can't you just hear her heart? Can't you just hear what she's struggling with? Jesus has all these brothers and sisters too, half brothers and half sisters that are probably saying to her, 
Jesus, you know, he always was different. He always was a wild card. He always was different from us. And now you hear what he's saying, mom? Do you hear what he's saying? We, he is going to bring repute upon this family. We need to go collect. And then can't you hear Mary? Oh, if just your father were here. If your father were here, Jesus, this wouldn't have happened. If your father was here, he would have kept this all straight. But here I am, single mom, raising all these kids by myself. And look at the position that we're now in. Now, now I've got this son. He's got thousands of people and he's telling them all that he's the son of God and he's taken the place of Israel himself. And if Joseph was here, this wouldn't happen. So they come here and can you just hear the agony in her heart as she comes? Now, she comes here and they're standing outside and they send to him and they call to him. So Mark now draws a stark contrast for us. And the contrast is between those who are standing outside and those who are sitting inside. Look at what he says. And his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside. You see the contrast there? The contrast is between those inside sitting around Jesus and those outside who can't get in. Now, why are the ones inside inside? Because the ones that are inside are the ones that Jesus called to himself in the previous episode. They're the ones who are in, they're inside by the grace of the Lord, calling them unto him. And so now there's this contrast between those who are without and those who are within. Those who are standing and those who are sitting. Those who are calling and those who are hearing the teaching. So the, stark, the starkest of contrasts comes here. Now, again, they are coming here with the best of intentions. I feel like that there is nothing malicious of their intentions whatsoever. Misunderstanding? Yes. Disbelieving? Yes. Malicious? No. But nevertheless, the best of intentions won't get them inside. Metaphorically speaking, the best of intentions won't get them inside. Nowhere did Jesus say, come unto me, all ye who have good intentions and I will give you rest. I will make your good intentions to be salvific for you. Nowhere did Jesus say that. The best of intentions are just that. And so coming with the best of intentions, nevertheless, they are still outside. 